This show is made possible by members and donors who sign up at bestoftheleft.com and also by gotomeeting.com green technology helping to reduce the need for business travel. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Ring of Fire, The Progressive, NPR, The Colbert Report, C-SPAN, The Young Turks, The Daily Show, and Countdown with Keith Olbermann with a bonus clip for our iPhone app users from NPR. Oh, and also Android app users as well. Carrie, like a lot of Republican candidates this year, Alaskan Senate candidate Joe Miller is concerned about border security. This week, he referenced the success of the past as a model for how we might secure our borders. What country did he point to as an inspiration? Oh, let me guess, because I don't know the answer. Um, somebody who's really good with their borders. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, very secure borders. Very secure, very secure. borders. Barbed wire. Guard towers. Ooh, um, ooh, that could be a lot of places. Um, so good they even had to bring in supplies by airlift. Oh, huh. oh um, 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 Germany, Berlin. Yeah. Yes, East Germany actually was what he referenced. You and I think of East Germany. We think of a totalitarian state that imprisoned its own citizens. Joe Miller says, "Sure, but you know, they had very few Mexicans." <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind. Keep in mind that Miller is an army veteran who actually served on the East German border as you listen to this. Quote, East Germany was very, very able to reduce the flow. If East Germany could, we could, unquote. So we imagine him, he's standing there, right, looking at the barbed wire and the guard towers, and he does not realize that they are there to keep people in. <laughs> you know, oh, that person running toward me while being shot at by border guards must be an illegal with a very poor sense of direction. Whenever he's at the zoo, he's like, ah, oh, man, I wish these cages weren't here. I'd really love to get at those animals. <laughs> <laughs> In 2006, the United States decided to build a fence. It was between us and our neighbor, Mexico. The purpose of the fence was to stop terrorism, drug smuggling, and illegal immigration. Unfortunately, there were holes in it. Rather than try and scale it here, they'll just go a mile down the road and walk across. So far, it has cost the taxpayers over $3 billion. And then they built the fence right through the middle of one of our nation's richest wetlands. And if you're an animal, you've been separated from all the things that you need. Yeah, woof, woof, this is too tough. Today we have a full-blown invasion from the South. The number of people who have crossed the U.S.-Mexico border to commit terrorist acts is zero. I don't look at it so much as an insult to Mexico. It's more of it being an insult to us. Welcome back to Ring of Fire. I'm Robert F. Kennedy Jr. here with Mike Papantonio and Dave Bender. Republicans in America want us to believe that our country is always under assault by hordes of illegal immigrants. Conservative commentators on Fox News tell us that these people are coming to America to commit crimes, to join gangs, to rape, to sell drugs, and to commit terrorist acts. Those assertions couldn't be farther from the truth. 
but it didn't stop our government from granting permission to build a 600-mile-long border fence to keep immigrants from entering the country through our southern border. Joining me now is documentary filmmaker Rory Kennedy, who's made a series of prize-winning films, including American Hollow and The Ghosts of Abu Ghraib. Her latest film is The Fence, which shows why this is a waste of taxpayer resources and why The Fence completely ignores the real threats to America. Rory, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Bobby. I have to say, Rory, we have our newest affiliate, which came on two weeks ago, KPFK in Los Angeles, and we've gotten tremendous support from them. And you are now an L.A. native, so tell us what it is that makes you love Los Angeles. Oh, I love everything about Los Angeles. I'm very happy to be here. The, the, the weather is beautiful. We spend all of our time outside with our little kids, the three kids. We see dolphins almost every day. And it's uh, really embracing the outdoor life, which is uh, it's important to me and, and our family. And, and keeping those kids running around outside is just terrific. Let's talk about the border fence. The film is almost a comedy. Yeah, you know, it's sort of, it, it does have a, a dark comedic element running through, which I'd like to maintain throughout the whole film, except there's such a uh, tragedy to the fence as well, because of course, you know, we've built this 700 mile fence on a 2000 mile border, and it's been totally ineffective in any of its goals of trying to reduce the number of immigrants coming to the country, reduce the number of drugs, or reduce the number of terrorists coming in here. But it has unfortunately had the effect of forcing immigrants to walk through much more treacherous areas where the fence isn't built. And so there's been a huge increase in the number of immigrants who are coming into this country who are dying, going through the desert. This is some of the hottest areas in the world, 138 degrees often in these deserts, and children and women coming through those deserts often don't make it. So there's been a huge increase. There used to be one or two people who would die every year. Now it's one or two a day. I've heard the expression many times in debating the fence that if you build a 60-foot fence, somebody's going to build a 61-foot ladder. And indeed, you show that that is happening, that, that the ingenuity of people who want to cross the fence make the fence almost an invisible impediment. You have one guy who's got a a truck, and on top of the truck, he's got these ramps that pop up where you can literally drive a car over the fence. Yeah, um, people are, they're, they're driving over it, they're, they're building ladders, climbing over it. In some cases, the fence is only three or four or five feet high, and so they just kind of jump over it. In many cases, there are tunnels underneath it, but, you know, when people aren't doing that, they just simply go down a mile down the road and, and walk around it because the fence ends continuously throughout the the 2000 mile border because it's only 700 miles and that is how it has been conceived it's never been conceived as a 2000 mile fence it's always been conceived as 700 miles which makes you question you know the film i think questions the effectiveness of the the, the fence but also at our uh, legislators and policymakers and holding them accountable to how they're spending our money i mean this is 4 billion dollars the taxpayers have all already spent on this fence, which has been totally ineffective, and it's estimated that it's going to cost $25 billion over the next 20 years. So, you know, this is an investment that we're making as taxpayers, and is this really the best, the best use of our resources in this country? Well, you know, immigration's been a central political issue over the past couple of elections in this country. Nobody's mentioned the fact that 
The big immigration problems started in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan abolished, essentially abolished unions in this country that passed a series of laws that made it difficult to unionize. And the number of illegal immigrants from that time has gone from about 1.8 million to 11 million at least. It used to be union members who would patrol work sites, and if somebody didn't have a union card, they'd report them, and they wouldn't be allowed on the work site. And so there were just weren't other opportunities for immigrants to come into this country. But that debate has been completely ignored, the debate over the, the destruction of the American Union, and that as the primary barrier for keeping illegal immigrants out of this country. Instead, the debate has focused on, you know, how do we keep them out using national security tactics? And as you show, the hue and cry over that part of the debate has been raised largely by one network. By You don't mention them, but clearly it's Fox News. You've captured one of the Fox News guests saying in a clip that Mexicans are, are essentially, you know, talking about Mexicans as ignorant and lazy and saying, quote, that they are illiterate in any language, end quote. And it's been this kind of demagoguery that has really made it difficult for even Democratic politicians or politicians who might be thinking that there may be better, more effective ways of stopping this flow of illegal immigrants into this country from raising their voices. I think that's right. And, you know, this is obviously an issue that you talk a, a lot and so articulately about, Bobby, is is the misrepresentations that are out there in the world that are informing decision making on the national level and and when you know people are very fearful right now of immigrants and they do think that you know there's this concept out there that they're criminals that they're going to take over our country um that they you can't trust them that they're they're thieves and it's simply incorrect um and the statistics you know bear that out and i think that when people are informed about what the real issues are then we can start having policies that reflect the actuality of what's going on on the ground. But as long as we continue to have this misinformation out there, we're going to have laws like the Arizona laws and the and walls being built. And, you know, I've always thought of this country as a country that opposed walls um, and and has, has long since spoken about how, how evil walls are. And to now be building our own wall on the southern border, I think, is, is a far, far cry from... from who I think we should be and who we are and who we've been historically as a country. If you're like most Americans, you like to collaborate with others to work on projects as a way to get others to do your work for you. The downside of this is that you would normally have to interact with these people in person to show them exactly how you'd like your work to be done. Well, now with GoToMeeting, there's no need to ever see another person again. Using GoToMeeting's easy-to-use software, you can meet online using audio, instant chat, and screen sharing to efficiently and effectively delegate tasks away from yourself without anyone knowing you haven't shaved or kept up on virtually any personal hygiene in days. You can experience your first 45 days of this kind of bliss by visiting GoToMeeting.com and using the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST, for this special free 45-day trial.
The California Supreme Court just issued a unanimous and courageous decision. It ruled that students who've been in high school for at least three years can get in-state tuition at California colleges or universities, even if they're not legal residents or citizens. Anti-immigrant forces are up in arms about this, but it's a sensible and moral decision. These immigrant students were at most 14 or 15 and usually much younger, sometimes even babies, when they arrived in the U.S., most often with family members. They shouldn't be punished because of something their mother or father did. If they've made the grades to go to college, they should be treated like every other person in their high school. To do otherwise would be to engage in outright discrimination and to create a permanent Latino underclass in this country. California points the way to a fairer approach. And now the U.S. Congress should follow suit and pass the DREAM Act so that every good student can have this opportunity, not just those in California. But Congress better pass it soon before the Republicans take power. For all the attention given to Arizona's immigration law, one part of the story is not well known. The state approved the law last April to answer concerns about illegal immigrants. The new law fueled a national debate, and this morning we'll tell you who drafted that law. An NPR investigation has found that the private prison industry played a key role in how Arizona's law came about. NPR's Laura Sullivan brings us the first of two reports. This story begins in a small desert town called Benson, Arizona. There's a man named Glenn Nichols who works as a city manager. Not too long ago, two men showed up offering a deal. The gentleman that's the main thrust of this thing has a huge turquoise ring on his finger. Then he, He's a great big huge guy and I equated him to a car salesman. What he was selling was a prison, a prison for immigrant women and children. They came in here about a year and a half ago and was talking about building a facility to hold women and children that were illegals. You know, how positive this was going to be for the community, the amount of money that uh, we would realize from each prisoner on a daily rate. But Nichols wasn't buying. He asked them how could they possibly keep a prison full for years, decades even, with illegal immigrants. They talked like they didn't have any doubt they could fill it. That's because prison companies like this one had a plan, a new business model to lock up illegal immigrants. And the plan became Arizona's new immigration law. If it's upheld, it would require police to lock up anyone they stop who cannot show proof they entered the country legally. It could send hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants to prison and bring hundreds of millions in profits to prison companies. NPR spent the past several months analyzing hundreds of pages of campaign finance reports lobbying and corporate records. They show prison companies participated in a behind-the-scenes effort to help write the law and get it passed. 
Arizona State Senator Russell Pierce says the bill was his idea. He says it's about what's best for the country. Enough is enough. People need to focus on the cost of not enforcing our laws and securing our border. It is the Trojan horse destroying this country. And a republic can not survive as a lawless nation. But rather than taking his idea to the state house floor, Pierce took it instead to a hotel conference room. It was last December, the Grand Hyatt in Washington, D.C., a meeting of a secretive group called ALEC. It's short for the American Legislative Exchange Council. It's a group that has members. Some are state legislators, and some are big corporations, powerful companies and associations like Reynolds Tobacco, ExxonMobil, the NRA, and one other important member, the Billion Dollar Corrections Corporation of America, the largest private prison company in the country. It was here, among these people, that Russell Pierce's idea took shape. I did a presentation, I went through the facts, I went through the impacts, and they said, yeah. The 50 or so people in the room included officials from the Corrections Corporation, according to two sources who were there. Pierce and the Corrections Corporation have been coming to these meetings for years. Both have seats on the board. And this issue was an important one for the Corrections Corporation. According to company reports reviewed by NPR, executives believe immigrant detention is their next big market. Last year, they wrote that they expect to bring in, quote, a significant portion of our revenues from ICE, the agency that detains illegal immigrants. In the conference room, the group decided they would turn the immigration idea into a model bill. They discussed and debated language. Then they voted on Pierce's idea. There were no no votes. I never had one person speak up in objection to make this model legislation. Four months later, that model legislation became almost word for word Arizona's immigration law. They even named it they called it the Support Our Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods Act. Michael Huff is one of Alec's staff directors. Alec is the conservative, free market oriented limited government group. That's why we're in existence. Huff organized the December meeting. So they're sitting in a room together writing legislation. Yeah, that's the way it's set up. It's a, you know, a public-private partnership, and that's how it's set up so that we believe both sides, businesses, and uh, lawmakers should be at the same table together. Nothing about this is illegal. Pierce's immigration plan became a prospective bill, and Pierce took it home to Arizona. Is there a concern at all that it could look like the private prison corporations have an access to you that other groups may not? No, they don't. Tell me when the last time I met with any of them. Well, every time you meet with Alec, right? No, not true. I don't go there to meet with them with Alec. I go there to meet with other legislators. Pierce may go there to meet with other legislators, but 200 private companies pay tens of thousands of dollars to meet with legislators like him. As soon as Pierce's bill hit the Arizona State House floor in January, there were signs of Alec's influence. 36 co-sponsors jumped on, a number almost unheard of in the Capitol. According to records obtained by NPR, two-thirds of them either went to that December meeting or are members of Alec. That same week, the Corrections Corporation hired a powerful new lobbyist to work the Capitol, according to state records. The Corrections Corporation declined requests for an interview. In a statement, a spokesman said the company, quote, unequivocally has not at any time lobbied, nor have we had any outside consultants lobby on immigration law. 
At the Capitol, campaign donations started to appear. 30 of the 36 co-sponsors received donations over the next six months from prison lobbyists or prison companies, the Corrections Corporation, Management and Training Corporation, and the GEO Group. By April, the bill was on Governor Jan Brewer's desk. Brewer had her own connection to private prison companies. State records show two of her top advisors are former prison lobbyists, her spokesman and her campaign manager. She signed the bill four days later. This bill, the Support Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods Act, strengthens the laws of our state. That's the same name the group gave the model bill in the Hyatt Conference Room. Brewer and her spokesman did not respond to requests for comment. In May, one of the prison companies, the GEO Group, had a conference call with investors. When asked about the bill, company executives made light of it. What bill, they asked. Any thoughts on the impact from the recent Arizona immigration legislation? Well, Did they have some legislation on immigration? <laughs> then the company's president, Wayne Calabrese, cut in. Clint, this is Wayne I can only believe that the opportunities at the federal level are going to continue apace as a result of what's happening. Those people coming across the border being caught are going to have to be detained. And that, to me at least, suggests there's going to be enhanced opportunities for what we do. Opportunities that prison companies helped create. Laura Sullivan, NPR News. Nation, I've said it before, the Democrats love to throw cash around. Now they found a whole new form of wasteful government spending. Me. <laughs> because tomorrow, I, Stephen Colbert, will be testifying before Congress. Half spoken word, half dance number. <laughs> now, that news made one of the friendly friends over at Fox and Friends, Gretchen Carlson, so incensed this morning that her hair nearly moved. Jim? I mean, the idea that we're going to waste our taxpayer dollars for this guy to go up on Capitol Hill, and we're supposed to sit there and take that? No, you're supposed to sit there and blow it out of proportion. Read your contract. But, right in there, right at the bottom. But I'm going to surprise you folks. I agree with Gretchen. I am a huge waste of taxpayer dollars. There's my hotel, my meals, and of course my mobile snow machine so I can cross-country ski the entire way there. All of which I am paying for. But Congress is on the hook for my water, as much as I want, plus the electricity powering my microphone for a full five minutes of talk time. God only knows how many hospitals won't be built because of me. <laughs> now, unfortunately, not all the Fox and Friends have the journalistic instincts of a Gretchen Carlson. Jim, 
Mr. Colbert will be testifying in character. Wait a minute. Under oath? In character? What's that about? You know what? Let me stop that rumor right now. It's true, I do have a character. But rest assured, I will not be addressing Congress as my Chinese persona, Ching Chong Ding Dong. Ooh, I love tea. He, I am the first to say, I am the first to say he would be completely inappropriate. Though I happen to know he is prepared to say under oath, immigration big problem. <laughs> Hot. The truth is I would never disrespect Congress like that. It would sully the good name of experts that Republican-controlled Congresses have actually called to testify in the past, like Christy Brinkley and Elmo, <laughs> who, you'll notice, was classy enough to put on a suit, unlike how he usually walks around swinging in the breeze. <laughs> Incidentally, the carpet matches the drapes. Actually, it's all carpet. So, just what Am I going to be testifying about? Well, here's a preview in part two of Stephen Colbert's fallback position, migrant worker. Last night, I interviewed chairwoman of the House Subcommittee on Immigration and notorious Mexican cobbler, Zoe Lofgren. Tonight, I prove I've got the right stuff to take back farm working jobs for Americans. It was time to get my farm on, and I was ready. First, I met the farm's manager, Sam. All right, Sam, let's do some farm stuff. Cal says moo. Let's go. First up, building boxes to ship the corn. Do you have to watch me while I do this? Yes. This one's broken. You ever build a fort out of these and like fight each other with ears of corn? No. No? No. Next, corn packing. 48 to a crate as fast as you can. All right, what are we doing? Okay, start jamming some corn. No small ears. What's a small ear? Seven inches. Anything less than seven inches is no good? Too small. Sometimes. That's kind of judgmental, Sam. I've been assured that a good five is a fine. A good five. Not here. No? That's adorable, Sam. Good be, buddy. Have a heart. Look up. I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. I had proved I was a master packer. Next, Sam gave me a bucket to pick some beans. Are there any um, beans there in the shade? No beans in the shade. No beans in the shade. No. And just pull up the whole plant like that? No. Just then you the damage plant? the plant and there's no more beans. What? If you pull that out, there'd be no more work. What? If you pull the whole plant, there'd be no more work. But I got all the beans on that one. Look at that. And then I'll just replant it. Stick it back there. It's back in there. Now it's all, it's all back in there. That's good. Do you mind not crowding me here, Grandpa? I'm, I'm uh, trying, to, trying to pick these beans. You're on my turf here. I got some more can I punch him? Did he say something bad to me? <laughs> no. No? He didn't say anything bad? What did he say? Screw on over. You need to get back to work, sir. I'm just playing a little farm bill, okay? There's no playing with the Hold cell on. phone. I just want to ship my crop and 
I'm done. I'm, just, I'm done. Work. I'm done. What did I miss? Did I miss? Are the is the are the beans gone? Did I miss something? So Sam, do I get paid by the bean or by the hour? By the hour. And how many hours have I been working? About twelve minutes. This is why I don't eat salad, Sam. This this is why I don't eat salad. Where what are they going? They're done. They finished picking their. Wait, I'm then I'm done too. We all got here at the same time. No, I'm done. Everybody's gonna pick their own basket. Pick their own basket. Pick their own basket. I picked. I packed. I even made some friends. Thank you. Thank you. Now my fate was in Sam's hands. Well, Sam, you said take our jobs, please. And I came, I worked out there harvesting America's crops. So tell me, do I have what it takes to be a migrant farm worker? I'm sorry, sir, but you're not qualified. Oh, thank God! Oh, can I go home now? Please. Where's my driver, Pablo? Thanks, Pablo, let's go. Rapido, rapido. You can support this show at no additional cost yourself when you shop at Amazon after clicking through to their site using the Amazon banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through using that banner once and then bookmark that page to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal, but Amazon will donate around 7 to 8% of your order to this show without adding a dime to your bill. This doesn't take much effort on your part and costs you nothing, but makes a huge difference supporting the show. Thanks so much for your help. Good morning. My name is Stephen Colbert, and I am an American citizen. It is an honor and a privilege to be here today. Congresswoman Lofgren asked me to share my vast experience spending one day as a migrant farm worker. I am happy to use my celebrity to draw attention to this important, complicated issue. And I certainly hope that my star power can bump this hearing all the way up to C-SPAN 1. As we've heard this morning, America's farms are presently far too dependent on immigrant labor to pick our fruits and vegetables. Now, the obvious answer is for all of us to stop eating fruits and vegetables. And if you look at the recent obesity statistics, you'll see that many Americans have already started. Unfortunately, my gastroenterologist, Dr. Eichler, has informed me in no uncertain terms that they are a necessary source of roughage as evidence I would like to submit a video of my colonoscopy into the congressional record. Now we all know there is a long tradition of great nations importing foreign workers to do their farm work. After all, it was the ancient Israelites who built the first food pyramids. But this is America. I don't want a tomato picked by a Mexican. I want it picked by an American, then sliced by a Guatemalan and served by a Venezuelan in a spa where a Chilean gives me a Brazilian. Because my great-grandfather did not travel across 4,000 miles of the Atlantic Ocean to see this country overrun by immigrants. He did it because he killed a man back in Ireland. That's the rumor. I don't know if that's true. I'd like to have that stricken from the record. So, we do not want immigrants doing this labor. And I agree with Congressman King, we must secure our borders. 
Of course, I'm sure Arturo Rodriguez is saying, who then would pick our crop, Stephen? First of all, Arturo, don't interrupt me when I'm talking. That's rude. Second, I reject this idea that farm work is among the semi-mythical jobs that Americans won't do. Really? No Americans. I did. As part of my ongoing series, Stephen Colbert's fallback position, where I try other jobs and realize that mine is way better. I participated in the UFW's Take Our Jobs campaign, one of only 16 people in America to take up the challenge. Though that number may increase in the near future, as I understand, many Democrats may be looking for work come November. Now, I, I'll admit, I started my workday with preconceived notions of migrant labor. But after working with these men and women, picking beans, packing corn, for hours on end, side by side, in the unforgiving sun, I have to say, and I do mean this sincerely, please don't make me do this again. It is really, really hard. For one thing, when you're picking beans, you have to spend all day bending over. It turns out, and I did not know this, most soil is at ground level. If we can put a man on the moon, why can't we make the earth waist high? Come on, where is the funding? This brief experience gave me some small understanding of why so few Americans are clamoring to begin an exciting career as seasonal migrant field worker. So what's the answer? I'm a free market guy. Normally I would leave this to the invisible hand of the market, but the invisible hand of the market has already moved over 84,000 acres of production and over 22,000 farm jobs to Mexico and shut down over a million acres of U.S. farmland due to lack of available labor because apparently even the invisible hand doesn't want to pick beans. Now, I'm not a fan of the government doing anything, but I've got to ask, why isn't the government doing anything? Maybe this ag jobs bill would help. I don't know. Like most members of Congress, I haven't read it. But maybe we could offer more visas to the immigrants who, let's face it, maybe we could offer more visas to the immigrants who, let's face it, will probably be doing these jobs anyway. And this improved legal status might allow immigrants recourse if they're abused. And it just stands to reason to me that if your coworker can't be exploited, then you're less likely to be exploited yourself. And that itself might improve pay and working conditions on these farms. And eventually, Americans may consider taking these jobs again. Or maybe that's crazy. Maybe, maybe the easier answer is just to have scientists develop vegetables that pick themselves. The genetic engineers over at Fruit of the Loom have made great strides in human-fruit hybrids. The point is we have to do something because I am not going back out there. At this point, I break into a cold sweat at the side of a salad bar. I thank you for your time. Again, it is an honor, a privilege, and a responsibility to be here. I trust that following my testimony, both sides will work together on this issue in the best interest of the American people, as you always do. <laughs> I'm now prepared to take your questions and or pose for pictures with grandchildren. I yield the balance of my time, USA number one. As I walk through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity, oh yeah, I ask myself, is a hope lost? Is there only pain and hatred? And
and misery. Oh, and each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I want to know. Oh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Stephen Colbert went to Congress today. Um, ben, what was he there for? He was there to talk about uh, migrant workers, obviously. <laughs> uh, which I believe is among Colbert's many specialties. And he made uh, members of Congress uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, he said that he wanted to give his, he was lending his own star power to this issue because he wanted to bump the hearing all the way up to C-SPAN 1. <laughs> he was on C-SPAN 3. Um, uh, and apparently it was so funny and so uncomfortable because he was very uh, critical of just lawmakers in general at one point saying, I feel that after my testimony, both sides will work for the benefit of America, as you always do. Um, <laughs> uh, and he made a lot of people uh, uh, very, uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, JR, do we have clips of him making, uh, what's the, what, what clip should we run that has him making a member of Congress most squeamish? Uh Steve King asked him, asked him a question. He kind of turned right, it so into a joke. Is, uh, on him. This is a clip five, uh, taking a question from uh, Representative uh, uh, Steve King. And I thought it was curious that on the farm where you harvest the corn, I was watching you actually unload a crate rather than load the crate. So it was curious to me that it looked like the corn was going the wrong direction, and I only presumed they must have run the film backwards. That was so my I think point. The, 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 the and I'd yield back to the gentleman. Now been cleared, Mr. Gonzalez. Gonzalez. That's the time. Sure, Mr. Colbert. Which direction was the coin going? <laughs> well, I want to make sure that if I get this answer wrong, I can't be held for perjury. Um, I, I, I was packing corn. I was, I was a corn packer. And uh, I packed it, and I put it in the trucks, and I iced it down to keep it at 38 degrees so it wouldn't go through the process where the, the sugar turns into starch. And uh, we, we got that corn out that day. I actually was, I was a corn packer. And I know that term is offensive to some people because corn packer is a derogatory term for a gay island. And I, 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 I hope I didn't offend anybody. A gay what? Iowan, because Steve <laughs> King's from Iowa. <laughs> I was wondering where he's going to go with the corn packer. <laughs> so some, some people were mad that he was there, right? So including Steve King. Now he's going to go on Fox later. Let's check out clip number seven. I've known about this for a few days, but I didn't know that he was going to go in and testify in character. I read his written testimony last night. It was about one and a quarter pages long, double space, without much substance. And the witnesses re requested to summarize their written testimony in five minutes. He went off on a comedy routine that he had written as a separate document. And I think it's an insult to the time and an insult to the intelligence of the American people that Congress is conducting themselves in this fashion. And I think one point that he made that there will be a lot of Democrats looking for work this fall, that is an accurate point, and I think that was accelerated by their conduct in this hearing today. There's a lot. There's a lot of problems going on in Capitol Hill right now. There are a lot of problems in this country. You're talking about immigration. Obviously, that's a huge issue, especially to our friends along the southern border. Talking about unemployment and whether immigrants should take U.S. jobs. you got 14.9 million people unemployed in this country right now. And while it's great to listen to Stephen Colbert on Comedy Central at night, uh, many people perceive that as a huge waste of your time and our taxpayer dollars. And does she owe us an apology? Well, Megan, we have enough problems here on the Hill uh, to make a blanket request like that. I don't know, but I will say this, that she and Stephen Colbert, among them, 
disparage the people that do hard work in America every day. Um, she went out and did some work on this farm, and Stephen Colbert did some work on this farm. I pointed out that he was actually unpacking a crate of sweet corn, and it has to be going the other direction if it's going to be shipped off the farm. You don't unpack them there. You Wait, are you telling me he's not, in fact, an expert? That, that he what? He's not, in fact, an expert? You're telling me he didn't actually have his facts right? I don't think he had his facts right. I saw the video. These guys are taking it seriously. They're unbelievable. Yeah, there are a couple of... Uh, but by the way, I mean, his point was also that he clearly did want to sort of bring to light the issue of, I mean, it's Stephen Colbert, and everything is, of course, we don't even... Reversed. Um, <laughs> of course. Um, but uh, no, but they, it's impossible yeah. for Steve King to understand that. No. Perhaps because he's a corn packer. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but he's like, I, you know, the corn was going in the wrong direction. I, I don't understand this yeah. thing. And it's, you know, should we punish, of course, the Fox News anchors asking what's her the name, congresswoman. Megan, what's her name? Megan doing? Yeah. Mag Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly, yeah. right. Uh, to punish the congresswoman who asked Stephen Colbert to. Right, Zoe Lofgren. Right, to, to testify there. Yeah. Punish her how? Right. And they just seem stupefied that a comedian would do comedy. Yeah, or that, or that again, that anybody who wasn't them and didn't conduct business in their way, where nothing absolutely gets done, and all they do is, uh, all they do is vote no on any possible bill, and all they do is show no interest, by the way, in any degree of any meaningful immigration reform whatsoever. Wall Street Journal. Let me bring. The, by the way, real quick, Colbert said at one point here, uh, uh, and, and first of all, he did a good thing here. Because we're talking about this. Yes. So he succeeded exactly in what he wanted to do. Um, he, uh, uh, he said, my grandfather did not travel 4,000 miles of Atlantic Ocean to see an American overrun by immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, th that's the brilliance of Colbert right there. For all of us, we get it, right? It's obvious. He's joking that we're all co a country of immigrants and that we shouldn't be discriminating against immigrants, right? And, of course, Republicans, being the knuckleheads that they are, don't get the joke at all. And they're like, well, I don't get it. Uh, obviously, we should throw him out of the country or something, right? And they're like, oh, thank God, this guy agrees. But wait a minute, he's packing the corn wrong. Right? So it, it's, it's frustrating, man. I know by now, last Friday, comedian Stephen Colbert ruined Congress. <laughs> Stephen Colbert has mocked our legislators to their faces when he went to Washington, walked into a congressional hearing room, and testified on the plight of undocumented farm workers stealing a job that is traditionally done by baseball players on steroids and not really at all apologetic CEOs. Congresswoman Lofgren asked me to share my vast experience spending one day as a migrant farm worker. I was a corn packer. 
and I know that term is offensive to some people because corn packer is a derogatory term for a gay Iowan. Ha-ha! term is also offensive to fans of the great arena football franchise, the Green Corn Packers. That's, wow, have I been working out, apparently. Thank you, by the way, whoever photoshopped that picture. And I wasn't the only completely humorous sea Spaniard who was offended. It's a serious issue, it's broken. And they call in Colbert as the first guy? I think it's an insult to the time and an insult to the intelligence of the American people that Congress is conducting themselves in this fashion. They've got time to bring a comedian to Washington, D.C., but they don't have time to eliminate the uncertainty by extending all of the current tax rates. I think it was an embarrassment for uh, uh, Mr. Colbert uh, more than the House. Of course! Colbert is more embarrassed than the House of Representatives. Colbert still has dignity and integrity left to lose. You can't embarrass Congress. How could you? You can't embarrass the House of Representatives. They're the Andy Dick of our government. It's like when you make out with Andy Dick, he's not the one worried about cold sores. Colbert's loudest critic might have been Iowa Republican Steve King, hero, who immediately rushed from the time-wasting hearing to do the people's work, complaining on Fox News about all the time wasted. You know how lawmakers are. There were more cameras in the room than I've seen in a long time, and so they're very aware of that, and they're always glad to get a little camera time. Yes, it is annoying. <laughs> how enamored certain congressmen are with seeing themselves on camera. Hmm? In the middle of a work day. Although to be fair to Steve King, he does burn the midnight oil, not just with his legislative duties, but with his side business, building border defense walls to protect his country against tiny Mexicans. We could also electrify this, this wire with the kind of current that wouldn't kill somebody, but it would simply be a discouragement for them to be fooling around with it. We do that with livestock all the time. Yes, yes. It does work with livestock all the time, but of course, in this case, we are talking about human beings. But there was one person even more worked up than Steve King, his interviewer. Congressman, do you think that Zoe Lufgren owes this country an apology for wasting our taxpayer dollars and your time? There's a lot, there's a lot of problems going on in Capitol Hill right now. There are a lot of problems in this country. True. The country doesn't have 10 minutes that it took for Colbert to testify in front of Congress, thereby giving massive media attention to the issue of the working conditions for undocumented farm laborers, because there's so much that is more important to focus on. Well, by the way, Megan, what, what's your next story? Go. Uh, Congressman Steve King, we always love hearing from you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Megan. I appreciate it. And you got to tip your hat to John Conyers, uh, calling out his fellow Democrat. And another Fox News alert for you, a new sequel for troubled actress Lindsay Lohan, a California judge sending her back to jail with no bail. In a pail. She's got mail. Oprah's best friend is Gail. I love rhymes. I'm sorry, we were talking about problems in the country? Anyway, the fact is, the so-called comedian wasn't even funny. And it's not just me saying that. Do you think this is funny? I don't want a tomato picked by a Mexican. I want it picked by an American, then sliced by a Guatemalan, and served by a, by a Venezuelan in a spa where a Chilean gives me a Brazilian.
no, that's not funny. <laughs> in fact, nobody in Congress laughed at that. The whole time Colbert spoke, they only laughed at one thing, really. I trust that following my testimony, both sides will work together on this issue in the best interest of the American people, as you always do. <laughs> That's what they laughed at in the room. See, it's funny because it's sad. So they complained when Colbert was being funny. What about when he was being more serious? At the end of his statement, he made a perfect plea for the plight of these workers and quoted scripture, which from what I understand is the good book something Walmart would sell. Any comic who says, I'm here to speak for people who have no voice is no longer a comic, but a pompous jerk. Yes, pompous jerk. As opposed to an arrogant douche. <laughs> who apparently gets to decide who is and who is not a comic. You know, it's, it's actually, it's fun. It's okay. Tucker and I can talk like this because we already have a visceral negative reaction to each other. <laughs> not an ounce of friendship or respect between us. Truly one of the only people in the world I feel that way about. <laughs> but sure, this is really about Congress. Thank God, with Colbert gone, they can get back to the business at hand. The U.S. Senate failed to move forward on repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Resolution commending the University of Southern California Trojan men's tennis team. A failed measure that would have given health care to 9-11 first responders sickened by dust at ground zero. H.R. 1454, an act to provide for the issuance of a multinational species conservation fund symposium stamp. The small business bill yesterday, it failed to pass a procedural vote. Resolution 628, recognizing the 10th anniversary of the National Book Festival. Congress uh, did not pass the uh, defense supplemental before the July 4th break. Concurrent resolution commemorating the 75th anniversary of the Blue Ridge Parkway. 2.1 million unemployed Americans will have lost their jobless benefits. That's because lawmakers failed to pass an extension before taking their summer break. Colbert, you should be ashamed of yourself. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot button issues we face, maintaining a rock solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth five bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. After the breathless lead-up to comedian Stephen Colbert's testimony to Congress today, the knee-jerks finally got what they wanted. Colbert, as the demented conservative pundit he plays on TV, did a few minutes of shtick at a House committee meeting. But on our third story, then there's the rest of the story few have bothered to cover. The point of Colbert actually attending that hearing, the truth he spoke, not the truthiness. Along with being funny, Colbert was also serious, even eloquent, when testifying about the plight of America's migrant farm workers. 
This week on his Comedy Central program, Colbert aired a two-part series about the migrant workers, joining California Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. Colbert spent a day working alongside some of them at a farm in upstate New York. In addition to getting a comedy bit out of the experience, the comedian was also asked by Lofgren to testify at today's House Judiciary Immigration Subcommittee hearing called Protecting America's Harvest, alluding to the Murrow documentary of 1960. Colbert agreed to appear in character and then remain as a witness. As I mentioned, leading up to the hearing, the people on Fox News freaked out. They couldn't find anyone else. An expert witness. Come on, guys, this is serious business. I just don't get it. This takes the cake. You have got to be kidding. You cannot be serious. And you wonder why Congress's God approval ratings are where they are. That is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Hey, this is so ridiculous. There's, this is ridiculous. Right, said the moron from Fox. David Korn of Mother Jones pointed out that the humorist and author Mark Twain set the original standard for funny men testifying before Congress at a 1906 hearing on copyrights, and Casey Stengel spoke absolute gibberish at a 1958 hearing on baseball's antitrust exemption. The next witness was Mickey Mantle, and he won the day by beginning, I'd like to say my views are basically the same as Casey's. As Colbert himself noted, he is not even the first to appear in character to Congress. In April 2002, Elmo from Sesame Street testified to the House at the request of then-Republican Congressman Randy Duke Cunningham. Didn't hear Fox complaining about that. Mr. Cunningham is now serving time for tax evasion and bribery and hadn't seen Elmo in years. There's your mockery in Congress. This morning, the media swarmed on Colbert as he entered the meeting room. After he was seated, Democratic Congressman John Conyers asked Colbert to submit his opening statement in writing and leave. Colbert deferred to Lofgren, the committee's chairwoman, for a call. She said he should stay. Conyers retracted his request, and Colbert delivered his opening remarks. This is America. I don't want a tomato picked by a Mexican. I want it picked by an American, then sliced by a Guatemalan, and served by a Venezuelan in a spa where a Chilean gives me a Brazilian. Because my great-grandfather did not travel across 4,000 miles of the Atlantic Ocean to see this country overrun by immigrants. He did it because he killed a man back in Ireland. That's the rumor. I don't know if that's true. I'd like to have that stricken from the record. I participated in the UFW's Take Our Jobs campaign, one of only 16 people in America to take up the challenge. Though that number may increase in the near future, as I understand, many Democrats may be looking for work come November. This brief experience gave me some small understanding of why so few Americans are clamoring to begin an exciting career as seasonal migrant field worker. So what's the answer? Now, I'm a free market guy. Normally, I would leave this to the invisible hand of the market, but the invisible hand of the market has already moved over 84,000 acres of production and over 22,000 farm jobs to Mexico and shut down over a million acres of U.S. farmland due to lack of available labor. Because apparently, even the invisible hand doesn't want to pick beans. Now, I'm not a fan of the government doing anything. But I've got to ask, why isn't the government doing anything? Maybe this ag jobs bill would help. I don't know. Like most members of Congress, I haven't read it. Maybe we could offer more visas to the immigrants who, let's face it, will probably be doing these jobs anyway. And this improved legal status might allow immigrants recourse if they're abused. And it just stands to reason to me that if your coworker can't be exploited, then you're less likely to be exploited yourself. And that itself might improve pay and working conditions on these farms. And eventually, Americans may consider taking these jobs again. Or maybe that's crazy. Maybe, maybe the easier answer is just to have scientists develop vegetables that pick themselves. 
the genetic engineers over at Fruit of the Loom have made great strides in human fruit hybrids. The point is we have to do something because I am not going back out there. At this point, I break into a cold sweat at the side of a salad bar. Colbert was then seated with a panel of witnesses still in character. He had several exchanges, including this one with Congressman Lamar Smith of Texas. By the way, I do as, endorse as you, as your, your policies. I do endorse Republican. You asked me if I endorse Republican policies. Okay, do you endorse, I endorse the, all Republican policies without question? Okay, including the requirement that members have 72 hours to read a bill before we vote on it. Absolutely. Thank you for your endorsement of the pledge to America, Miss Madam Chair. I'll yield back. Thank you. Happy to have anyone endorse their lemon pledge, albeit facetiously. Congressman Darrell Issa today tweeting: Stephen at home just endorsed our pledge to America. Of course he did. Finally, towards the end of the hearing, which no media anywhere would have touched without Colbert's presence, California Representative Judy Chu got her chance to question the comedian. She took the opportunity seriously, as did Colbert. Considering the conditions, why would any American worker want to work um, on jobs like this? I don't know if, if, if Americans would or would not want to work on jobs like this. I, I believe that Americans are tough. I agree with the congressman that Americans are tough and they do tough jobs. Um, uh, it's not a job I want to do, and not a lot of people took uh, Mr. Rodriguez up on his uh, offer. And it seems from the statistics that my researchers found that there is a lack of labor in parts of the United States. And that seems to say that Americans don't want to take these jobs. But I don't want to say definitively that they won't. Mr. Colbert, you could work on so many issues. Why are you interested in this issue? I, I, I like talking about people who don't have any power. And this seems like one of the least powerful people in the United States are, are migrant workers who come and do our work but don't have any rights as a result. And yet we still invite them to come here and at the same time ask them to leave. And that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting contradiction to me. And, um, you know, whatsoever you do for the least of my brothers. And these seem like the least of our brothers right now. A lot of people are least brothers right now because the economy is so hard. And I don't want to take anyone's hardship away from them or diminish anything like that. But migrant workers um, suffer and have no rights. Jay, this is Rob. There's been a lot of talk about religion on the show, and I thought you should probably hear from an infidel down in the Bible Belt. I'm in Alabama, and uh, I've been concerned about um, the prejudices I've heard expressed by many viewers and by some of your clips. Uh, for instance, that religious people are irrational, they can't be committed to social justice, they follow orders, and they can't think for themselves. I left the Christian church at 17. I was the most outspoken atheist in my little Georgia college. And But one thing I've found over the years, I've worked constantly with some pretty surprising allies in the South. And I've learned that if you wait, you can't assume that the region can't be saved until everyone has uh, left the church and stopped believing in Jesus. There's a lot more diversity of belief. There's, uh, if you spend more than half an hour with church people, you learn they're the first to criticize their leaders. And uh, I just, while I know it's entertaining to stick to the us-men narrative, 
Remember that narrative was scripted by Carl Rove, who cut his little fangs on Alabama state politics. You know, I know what I'm talking about, and I want to challenge your, your listeners to remember the most subversive thing you can do for democracy in this country is to talk to the people you're not supposed to talk to. Thanks. Hi, Jay. This is Michael from Glen Burnie. I just finished listening to your November 21st episode, and rather than comment on uh, the main thrust of the episode, I wanted to comment on the ongoing conversation about education. Uh, I was struck while listening to uh, the other callers and to your comments at the end that one of the things that has been overlooked in all this is that it's not the process that you choose that's the most important part uh, to, to running the education system well and it's it's how you run that how you implement that process and and how well you support it and how well you refine it as you go along adjusting for any problems that you may not have accounted for at the beginning not to mention changes in the environment uh it's just like any other business you, you need to put the money in at the bottom floor you need to encourage the behavior that you want to see and you need to discourage the behavior that you don't want to see and that's that's basically my two cents and i'd just be interested to hear what your thoughts are and what other people's thoughts may be on that uh on my take so thank you so much for everything you do take care hello this is jonathan klein calling from the left coast uh just wanted to get my two cents in about the education uh debate that's going on, I guess, more so idea conjuring. There's a few things that have been in my mind since I was a teacher uh, at a few schools in high school and junior highs. Uh, I've taught many times, I hope I can stop this and just start over, but if not, okay. <laughs> high school start times have to change. Uh, we have to allow for the fact that high school students developmentally they need their sleep. They need to sleep until like 8 or 9, and they don't get tired until 11 or 12 because their serotonin levels are not developed that well to us. We need to pay attention to biology of the people we're teaching. Okay, I'm a biology teacher. What can I say? Also, I think we need to look to the fact that in summer, there is such drop-off that I think we need to get rid of how long summer is. I think we need to bring it down to a month maybe extend spring break to a uh, month long as opposed to just two weeks okay that's my two cents maybe actually about 50 have a good day thanks for listening everyone and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line if you would like to leave a comment question activist call to action or suggestion for a charity that people should donate to this holiday season the number to dial is 206-202-3410 enormous news today if you heard me at the top of the show you already know the best of the left android application just dropped it is live go there on your android device at this moment to the android marketplace and download it it has all the functionality of the iphone app the bonus content will be there all with an android flavor to it so uh, absolutely check that out if you've been waiting for it for like a year now almost your wait is over. You're welcome. My understanding is that you just go to the Android marketplace on your device and search for best of the left and it will pop up right there. The cost is $2.
that's a one-time fee you pay you know if you're not familiar with apps and everything it, this is not a subscription it's not anything like that it's two bucks one time you own it forever you get all the updates uh, whenever they update the app uh, you'll get those for free and so on and so on with this occasion of, of this brand new application dropping it actually gives me an excuse to uh, mention something you know I, sh- I should be mentioning this in every show i'll, I'll maybe i'll do that um there's so many ways to sub- sub- subscribe to this show if you don't already do it uh i would highly recommend subscribing if you have uh, friends you want to suggest the show to, let them know that there is an enormous number of ways to subscribe. You do not need an iPod uh, to subscribe. You can uh, subscribe with or without iTunes. I know some of you hate iTunes. You don't need iTunes to do it. Uh, you can listen directly on your computer. You don't need uh, a you know MP3 player of any kind. You can listen directly through the website at bestoftheleft.com. You can download the files directly from the show notes uh, on the blog each episode that comes up. Uh, obviously, now uh, with the Apple iOS and Android-powered devices. You can get the show via their uh, applications, best-of-left-specific applications for both of those devices. Any smartphone, as far as I know, just about any smartphone is compatible with the Stitcher application, which allows you to uh, basically generate your own playlist of uh, all kinds of different talk radio. Best of the Left is available via Stitcher. You can find us there at stitcher.com. If you want to go a little bit more low-tech, you can even subscribe via email. Uh, click on up- updates on the website, a uh, little icon for you know getting our mail, and one of the options there is to receive an email every time a new show uh, drops into the feed so you know and you know, know to go get it then. And there's even one more way that you're going to be able to listen to the show but it's top secret. I can't I can't let you know yet, but I'll let you know soon. As soon as I get the word that we're 100% good to go, there'll be even one more way to get the show. So I just like to make sure that all of you are aware of all of those different options. Do whatever works best for you. Now, finally today, I just want to mention uh, this is the Thanksgiving week holiday. I usually take, uh, you know, one or two shows off each year for Thanksgiving. Uh, this year will be no different well, except that it might be a little bit different. I'm planning on taking one show off. Uh, there, there's uh, an episode due out this weekend. I will not be producing a new show because I'm with the family, hanging out and uh, enjoying the holidays. But this episode, today's episode, actually inspired me to repost an old episode, a special edition, Best of the Left that I can almost guarantee you have not heard because it is from so long ago that uh, basically no one was listening to the show at the time. So I plan on reposting an old episode this coming weekend uh, in place of a new one. So you still get your uh, best of the left fix without me having to do uh, very much work. It's a win-win for everybody. And now, as always, of course, I just want to thank a couple of members. Marilyn C. signed up for a yearly membership back on July 3rd, and Gregory S. signed up for a monthly membership starting on August 12th. So obviously, I want to send out a huge thanks to Marilyn and Gregory for uh, signing up and sticking with the show, helping me do what I do, and helping all of you guys get these uh, 10 episodes a month I couldn't do without you guys. Everyone can support the show in your own little way by just telling everyone you know about it. 
I'm not kidding at all. It makes a huge, huge difference. Please keep spreading the word. Uh, help grow the audience. Tell uh, everyone you know, and they will uh, love you for it and appreciate that you did. Stay tuned into the show between episodes and help spread the word to your friends online by joining us over on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Of course, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life just a fond farewell to a friend